listening to Queer Conversation brought to you by Lotto. American artist Macon Reed creates immersive sculptural environments that serve as sites for conversation and exchange. Uology for the Dyke Bar revisits the legacy and physical spaces of dyke and lesbian bars, an increasingly rare component of the gay and queer cultural landscape. Made of simple materials that unapologetically reveal the hand in their making, the work is activated through its use as a fully functional bar and space for public programs. Um, hi, my name is Macon Reed, and I'm from New Orleans in the United States, and I identify as a genderqueer um, artist, and I work mostly in interdisciplinary projects, so I combine sort of a sculptural um, installation environment and then do a bunch of public programming inside to bring the community together. Hi, my name is Catherine Woolley, and I work in curatorial and public engagement at UNSW Galleries, and I've had the privilege of working with Macon um, on Eulogy for the Dyke Bar in the public programming and community engagement um, I identify as a bisexual queer woman. Welcome to Queer Conversations. The installation, tell us about it. This sounds really fascinating. Tell us where the installation is and what the idea behind it. Yeah, essentially, so the installation is a collaboration between um, the University of New South Wales Galleries and the National Art School. So um, it's at National Art School and it's actually in their old cafe. They let us sort of tran transform it into a, a dyke bar. So when you walk in... Um, It's a, it's a really brightly colored installation. We've got this amazing like hot pink um, and purple wood paneling that we hand painted on the wall. And you'll see um, a full bar, um, benches for people to sit, and then there's a pool table. Um, and importantly also when you are walking through the space, there's this amazing wall of archival images from Sydney Dyke Bar history. So I worked with the amazing people at UNSW to go through the archives and, and find these um, party flyers and um, just documents documents from Sydney's amazing history because I've done the project I think six times in the United States and this is the first time really getting to do it in another country in full with the programming and it felt so important to have Sydney's history represented instead of you know from the U.S. so um, yeah that's what you find when you walk into the space. So that's really fascinating yeah. so are you old enough to know what the dyke bars used to look like? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question. Yes, I'm yeah. <laughs> Um, I went to some dive bars when I was younger, you know, um, and and like the Lexington in San Francisco when it used to be there, um, and Henrietta Hudson's and Ginger's in New York, for example. But actually, the main thing that sort of drove the project was the fact that I couldn't find any. So I'd, I'd moved to Chicago, and, um, you know, Chicago is an amazing queer community, but the, the neighborhood there, the queer neighborhood, is called Boys Town. There are no dive bars at all, and I found myself you know, just aching for those spaces, you know, and, and being surprised that I couldn't find them. And then, you know, I started asking people, why, why are there no more dyke bars? Like, what's, what's up with this? And what consistently came across to me were all of these stereotypes about, like, you know, that dykes don't want to um, cruise or have sex or go to parties as much. We kind of just want to stay at home drinking tea with our cats. And I was like, there's no problem. Like, Drinking tea with your cats is great. That's, you know, also a good thing. But I was, I started saying like, well, is that really the case? Because like, I want to cruise and I want to go out and I want to dance, but there aren't places. And so when I, I started doing this research and talking to people and found that there are really 
And I think in Australia there's a similar history, but there are all these socioeconomic factors that play into it that we don't think about. And we kind of talk about the queer community as if it's just like one big community, but the truth is is that um, you know, women and trans people get paid less to the dollar than cis gay men. And so we end up with less spending money. And when gentrification or, you know, a recession comes or something, we're hit harder. And so it was really interesting to look into that and, and also to start learning more about, you know, that historically there were there were all these laws that you couldn't even as a woman go into a bar and get a drink without a man. Like there, there's structurally, there's so many things that kind of before we even get to why a bar is closing um, changed why there aren't even as many that open. So um, that was really the, the the impulse was less that, oh, I, you know, I love these dyke bars that I used to always get to go to and more like what's happening and also like what can we do to kind of create a space as like the idea of a dyke, what a dyke, who a dyke is and who would belong. We talk about the sort of the dyke side of the queer spectrum. You know, we don't even have language exactly to describe who the bar is for. And I think that that's the best thing about our community is it's constantly expanding and capitalism can't really like keep up with that. You know, it's hard to brand in that way. But at the same time, I think it's really important to, to think about um, how we can create spaces for everyone who needs who needs them and to be there. So, so anyway, that's a sort of long answer, but this is something I've thought about you know, so much. And last night we had a soft opening of the space um, with the big queer contemporary show at NAS and there were all these dikey people hanging out in front of the bar and it made me so happy, you know? So it's kind of like, it's a dike tradition, I think, of create the space that we need, you know? so yeah. Wow, interesting, really yeah, interesting project. Yeah. And Thanks. Um, just before we dive into it deeper, I'd like to find out there is a whole festival for, from all different type of artists that have put uh, installations on. Tell us a little bit about that. What yeah, what can people see throughout World Pride? So yeah, it's been really wonderful. Um, we've worked really collaboratively on this yeah. program um, together with um, Sean McIntyre and Sarah Hips from National Art School as well. Yeah, members that have been on the scene, a part of Sydney's um, queer community and dark histories. And we didn't really want to give anybody a brief that we wanted to ask them to do. Essentially, we went to them and asked, you know, what would your dream? I mean, yeah, really beautiful collaborative process. Hearing all of those ideas. Is. So we'll have the program launched tonight. We have Sydney hip-hop and R&B artist BVT performing, which will be incredible. We have Rihanna HT or DJ Aquenta um, on the decks um, having a dance party. Um, other programs will include Club Chrome. They're going to transform the dark bar into a queer strip club. Yeah. They're an incredible BTQ plus um, IA um, pole dance collective that look at, um, you know, the juncture of sex work and but also representing people that often aren't Yeah. Spaces. Um, Black um, Aboriginal Corporation are going to take over for a night as well. Um, so they'll be centering voices yeah. of First Nations history that often aren't recognized or included mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in these histories. So really looking forward yeah. to that night. Um, so there's a real mix of, um, you know, from conversations to performances to DJing to tarot reading and astrology nights, karaoke That's nights. Incredible. <laughs> I will say it for Sydney too, I've never felt so supported in this project. I've done it a number of times and this is the first time I've had such an amazing team because I thought I'm from the US, like kind of who am I to be doing this project? How can I make it appropriate for Sydney? And the programming team has just done like 
the most amazing. Like I can't even handle the amazing people that are it's part of the program. program. <laughs> yeah, so so they're the ones that Catherine just mentioned, and then we've also got um, some of the 78ers are coming in doing a reenactment of Camp, the bar that used to happen. We've got panels on like DIY dyke history and queer futures. Yeah, so kind of thinking about you know looking back to the histories and thinking about the lessons that we can learn from yeah. this, but also yeah. thinking about you know do we need dyke bars in the future and how do we create spaces that are more intersectional. I think that the thing about the project is we're like, it's not about saying like, this is, this is, we, we don't quite have an agenda in doing it of like, we're trying to tell you what we should want or what we should miss that's gone or anything so much as to really create a space for all these conversations because it's so complex. And we have spent hours with the team um, just really talking through, trying to be as sensitive as possible to all the different community stakeholders and concerns. And um, I mean, if we could, we'd have like a year long program. There were so many, <laughs> but we did our best to kind of have a real variety. So, um, so that as many different people could be part of it. And also what I love is that UNSW was able to secure grant funding so that everything is free in terms of accessibility for the community and everyone is paid. Sounds super inclusive That's and there's such for. a variety there. Yeah. So talking about inclusivity and your decision to call a dyke bar. Why did you choose the word dyke? I thought about that. Well, for one, um, I think dyke for me has a sort of politic to it. Like, for example, like I call myself a dyke. My pronouns shift between they and she, and I don't know if there was another word that doesn't exist, I'd probably use that. And and the genders of the people I date really vary. So for me, dyke is more of like, um, it's like honoring the history of all of the, the lesbians and dykes who have kind of done the, the foundational setting and all of the work to be able to let like, people like us be here today and I am so grateful for that and also there's a sort of um it's kind of like the difference between sometimes using the word gay or queer queer has a sort of like a political or a critical um commentary with it that feels different so um for me that's kind of the word that I felt almost like is less attached to gender in a way it, even it's this is sort of amorphous space that we're in um so it felt important to kind of honor that history and also specifically because I am trying to start um inviting basically widening the conversation because I, I feel like I see that cis gay men who are also losing their spaces sometimes but tend to have whole neighborhoods and blocks and apps and all of these things and aren't doing the work to be inclusive I don't see them nearly as much and they're also not asked to do the work as much even though they have resources to share so it felt important to kind of acknowledge we're talking about this sort of dikey end of the spectrum and we've done a lot of work though in all of the programming to talk about, like we use the word dyke in a really expansive sense. And we're working on making some t-shirts that say dyke adjacent because there are a lot of people who identify as trans or non-binary who also feel very connected to dyke culture. And at some points talk about the sort of the need to separate themselves from it or they feel pushed out of it. And it's so important that they're also part of the community. So um, so that's why it's, it's by saying dyke to it kind of, it offers it's like an opportunity to kind of needle a conversation and to talk about what that means and what that looks like so so yeah that's why I chose that and and dyke as opposed to lesbian because I also like um dyke feels like it's a reclaimed slur and that's also a little bit of a like we're reclaiming space we're reclaiming his reclaiming history you know and all of that yeah it kind of goes hand in hand with the time when the lesbian bars dyke bars yeah. were 
were active and really successful. Yeah. That was when lots of girls called themselves identified as dyke. There was yeah. really yeah. not much more. Yeah. So it yeah. makes sense to me. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I spent some time at the Lesbian History Archives, and I don't know if people in Australia know this, but um, Joan Nessel, who's from the U.S., who helped start the Lesbian History Archives, actually lives with her partner in Melbourne. And um, she's like a magical being that I appreciate so much. But I spent time in the History Archives looking through old journals and things, and I found one that was like, you know, it was basically like, F you, I'm not a lesbian, I'm a dyke. And then the next page was like, F you, I'm a dyke, not a lesbian. And I was like, we've been fighting around language and and these things for so long. And it was interesting because I think that's one other part of the project that I've learned is that, you know, there, there are things in the queer community right now that I've, I think there's misogyny in ways that we don't talk about, um, femphobia, but also misogyny. And if I see this moment in time, I could feel sad about those things. You know, similar to like historically, if I look at second wave feminism, there's a lot of amazing work done there and there were a lot of problems, you know. And, and if you look at any moment in queer history, you'll end up with this, um, you know, you can feel like it's, it's maybe like if there's, it's a bummer sometimes. Like, there's amazing things, and then there are parts where you're like, ugh. But I started to really understand our community's history in a longer arc and understanding that we have these big moments of groundbreaking. We make a bunch of space. We claim a lot of things. And then in that, we mess up, and we learn from those mistakes, and then the next generation comes in and fills in. And so um, that's something that's been really important to me about the project, too, is just is to thinking about the future archives. So the conversations we're having now, the next generation will look at and hopefully love some of the things we've done and also be like, you guys weren't thinking about this other thing, yeah. you know? And um, and that, thinking about ourselves in that, that larger arc, I really feel like is a beautiful way to understand the way that we grow and learn as a queer community. Talking about the intergenerational aspect of it, how was last night? I mean, it was a soft yeah. launch. I don't know who was invited, but was were they... Young ones, older ones, what was there was a mix. Yeah. Yeah, there were some some queer elders, although somebody called me a queer elder the other day. I was like, what's an elder? I don't know. But (laughs) but um but there were definitely older people and then there were some teenagers who were like kind of doing you know, sexy photo shoots in the and it was really cute was watching them through the windows. So there was a real spectrum and um that's also always been a sort of secret part of the project too, is to because there can be these sort of generational breakdowns of understanding of what queerness is and how it looks. Um, And that's so sad to me because we're all on the same team ultimately and we all can learn from each other to bring different generations into the same space. And I feel like I'm kind of in between some pretty different, two pretty different generations in some ways. And so we, the first time I did it, we had people in their 70s and 80s talking about what it was like to get thrown in jail for not wearing three pieces of gender appropriate clothing on random, you know, and um, I think for the younger people there, it was really important to listen. And something that I always, my little soapbox that I can get on and say is that, you know, out of all the identities that we share and that we don't share, um, the only one that we all have in common if we stay alive is we'll all be old, <laughs> you know? So the way that we think about um, how we treat our elders and honor them, I feel like is so important for all of us, you know? So I'm really trying to develop um, spaces too where. You know, older and younger people, I mean, I benefit so much from what I call the baby queers, but the young queers in my life, you know. Um, and I think the more that we can create space for all of us to to share um, will really, I don't know, is really important, transformative work. Yeah. So this show has been 
Well, you said eight times you've done the installation. You said eight times, <laughs> yeah, which is well. Because when I started it, I started it because I was lonely and I wanted a place to go and find my people, and I thought no one cared. And then um, we had a line out that like a thousand people RSVP for a tiny little space that normally didn't bring more than forty people, and th- like a line around the block. And I was like, what? What just happens? This like I've never. Something. Yeah. If, as an artist, if you ever get to hit on a note where you can really serve something for your community, then I feel so lucky. So we did that, and that was um, in a scrappy little gallery called Wayfarers. That is an amazing community. It's no longer here in Brooklyn. Um, and then I did it at Pulse Art Fair afterwards, which is a very fancy sell, sell, sell kind of art fair world. And we had to do a lot to make sure it was inclusive and all the queers could get in for free. Um, but that was really good because, you know, in four days of the fair being up, we had several thousand people view it and straight people had to go to the dike bar to get their drinks. And it was fun to watch them be like, and it's like, yeah, now it's your turn. <laughs> you know, like we'd switch the power dynamic. And um, and then let's see, I got to do it at the University of Southern Maine with this amazing women and gender studies professor named Wendy Chapkiss. And we had a bunch of oral history from Maine. Um, and then I did it at the Wattis Institute of Contemporary Art um, with this wonderful curator, Yomna and um, the San Francisco Museum of Art and Design. I'm missing one there. And then I was just going to say, and then the whole thing is, yeah, you, so um, Jose de Silva, this wonderful curator at UNSW, brought the project in. He saw it at the Wattis in San Francisco. He brought the project and I was supposed to come here for a month and get to meet all these queers in Sydney. And I was so excited to come to Australia. And then I was supposed to come in April 2020, and it was just like, you know, it's just... Um, happened. So we still went forward with the installation yes. based on, you know, instructions on from Zoom. Macon, a lot of Zooming, yeah. but it was very much a eulogy It was time. much more was, of a sad... You know, it was, you know, lockdown, we weren't getting, you know, as many people yeah. through, and because that community engagement and activation is such an integral part the of program. the project. Um, yeah. And, you know, the online talks that we were doing just didn't really hit the same. So, the same. so lucky we thought, you know, World Pride was such a perfect opportunity yeah. to engage with all of the audiences that will be coming. It's so much better, time. ultimately. Like, and, like, so amazing that you can actually be here, yeah. making the work, and meeting the people that are engaged. I know. I was like, I didn't realize how... Uh, much I'd set myself up to be able to meet all of the most babely people in Sydney in a short <laughs> time. I was like, oh, this is an accidental plus to the project. Oh. Yeah, so it's been yeah, it's been great. So what what are the dates for um, uh, the festival, uh, the, the yeah. festival, and, and specifically then for the yeah. yeah, so launching today, Friday 17th of February. So yeah. the installation will be um, open for people just to come in and view, play a game of pool, um, look at the archival material between 9 to 5, Monday to Saturday. Yeah. And then we'll be activating the bar from 5 to 10 p.m. Tuesday to Friday. So yeah. 17th of February until the 4th of March. Except one night, which is different, which is Monday the 20th, yes, it's I believe. It's coming Monday. Club Chrome, that's when they are going to come ex- and turn it into ex- a special strip club. Yes, I can't wait to, to see <laughs> them crawling on the bar. I think it's going to be amazing. Yeah. So yeah, Monday's the one, the one alternative. And um, we have you, you can check out the the full program, but also we have a cruising night on Thursday night this week um, for anyone who's just looking to meet other babes. So um, that's also a nice 
It's an open night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's a kind of nice balance of more yeah. high energy nights, but then also nights nice yeah. just for connections to yes. chill in the space um, and mental life. But yeah. every night is the theme, right? You've got something yes. on every night. Yeah, can we remember yeah. all of them in order? It might yes. be hard. So there's the launch tonight, Club, Club Chrome, Black, Black Dot, yes. What's Wednesday? Wednesday camp. Camp is the recreation of camp. That's when they would yes. do the night in the 70s. I know, we've I love got it. Thursday night's cruising. Cruising. Friday night is tarot readings, oh, astrology. Yeah. Tarot and astrology and readings. And Dykes on Mike's karaoke. Yes. Oh, it's on the same night? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is the same night. That's a double. <laughs> that's like a, that's going to be a wild night. With Salati, who's amazing. I think that's going to be great. That's going to be really fun. Then the next week, we've got Tuesday is... Um, Gallivanting and oh, yeah. Mistress Tokyo, um, talking about BDSM yes. um, and consent and care. Yes. Um, the Wednesday will be um, a two-part panel discussion. Yeah. Um, that will feature um, Penelope Benton talking yeah. about Red Rattler, um, Georgina Abrahams talking about Lesbian Space Project, and Joy Joy New from yeah. the Bearded Tear. Um, then the second panel will have um, Kelly Desart Smith, um, Megan Holloway, and Kelly Love Kelly, Kelly uh, yeah. Take Park. Oh, yeah. yeah, and yeah, so. Yes, lots of names. <laughs> yes. <to remember. laughs> you can um, remember all of this. I know. It's wild. <laughs> yeah, totally. And that one I'm, I'm excited about because when we're talking, yeah, that one's about like sort of history of dyke cultures here in Sydney, what worked, what didn't, and then this younger generation of kind of queer spaces in the future. And I really think that through. I'm excited for that. Yeah. And then and Thursday then, night, Jazz Money's leading a poetry. Amazing poetry. Night, night, that's going to be great. And then we'll have our Fissage party, which we titled Dyke Decadence. Yes. Um, that we'll have performances from David Derriere, um, Drag from Poppy Chulo, um, Glamour Boy, Sexy Galaxy. Yeah. And DJ from Crescendo. So it's going to be really, great. really exciting program. I'm really excited. Sound? Absolutely. I'm a little bit like, I'm not worthy. This is amazing. <laughs> There's so many good people. So, yeah. Wow, yeah. fantastic. So um, where will the installation be next? I don't know. <laughs> we um, we're trying to figure. I mean, I feel like we're trying to figure that out. And I just kind of what's I, what I found is that each time we do it, someone sees it and goes, "Oh, we need this for our community," and then it kind of goes from there. So, um, so we'll see. Yeah, we shall see. Well, thank you so much for coming in. All the best with it. Thank you I'll so see if much. I can Listening to Queer Conversation. Your podcast for all things queer. My name is Silke Beider. Until next time.